Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Well, hello there. Jack is back and welcome back for you guys. It's been a while, hasn't it? So we are now releasing episodes each Tuesday for the next 20 weeks. I'm running the podcast with seasons now instead of just continuous and each season will have 20 episodes. So for the next 20 weeks, I'll be releasing an episode at least every Tuesday. Now, what I'm going to be doing is 10 of those episodes will be the traditional interview format that you've been used to listening so far. Some of them are on Zoom, but a lot more of them in this season will be in person. And I have to admit, I've really enjoyed meeting people and chatting to them in person and getting a sense of what their passions and interests are. Everything from bat detecting, bird ringing, I've done a little bit of fishing, I've done all kinds of weird and wonderful outdoor pursuits and met the people who absolutely love them. So it's been really great to delve into that passion. Now the other 10 are a new series called Jack Does Stuff. So in that, I will be going out and doing some kind of activity. It might be ferreting, it might be fly fishing or something like that. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest Sometimes I'm on my Todd and we'll be delving into that kind of pursuit and why people like that. I'm also trying to have a theme for each season and this season's theme is rivers. Now, some of the podcasts might be a bit of a stretch, but because I really want to talk about the subject, I've shoehorned it in. But the majority of the podcasts for this season will have some kind of river theme. It might be that when we go bird ringing, it's on a river. It might be that when we talk to someone about beavers, Rivers are obviously mentioned in that, or species that are associated with rivers. So most of the podcasts this season will have a river theme to them, or if they don't, I've probably been a little bit creative in shoehorning some rivers into that. Now, this is the part of the podcast where I try and mercilessly beg, plea, borrow and steal from you to donate to buymeacoffee.com. Now, some of you have felt foul to it and actually donated, which is fantastic. So uh, it makes me sound like a con man. But I'm going to read out. So what we're going to be doing each week now is if you donate via buymeacoffee.com, there is a link in the description to that, I will read out your message in the next podcast. You have to donate before the Monday because I'll edit it on the Monday and then release it the following day. So as long as you donate before then, I will read it out. So here's some of the people. This person's called Someone and they've put, (laughs) they didn't want their name to be read out. Loving the pod and the rants. Keep up the good work. Second time I've donated. Thank you very much. I've got you twice. That's great. Adam has put, really enjoy what you do. So do I. Thanks, Adam. Frank, Now, Frank's a legend because he didn't buy one coffee, he didn't buy 50 coffees, he bought 100 coffees, which equals about 300 quid, which is mental. So thanks so much to Frank. And he's even more of a legend when I read out this message because he's put, I don't actually listen, uh, brackets, yet, 
but your Twitter feed is fun for a lazy, sometimes interested in nature guy. So that was incredible, Frank. I don't know if you accidentally added a zero and didn't mean to do that many, but I've got your money now and you're not getting it back. But thank you so much for donating because what I'm trying to do is get a target of £500 to buy some radio mics for outdoor broadcasts. So the more money that I raise towards that goal, uh, that will kind of improve the podcast. So we're well on the way, a lot quicker than I actually thought. Someone, although I think this is actually Alan McFadden, who runs Scottish Wildlife Photography Hides. He's actually been on the podcast. He's a former guest. I've been to his hides a few times. Really, really good. He's put any chance of a cats or still cunts updated podcast. Well, it's funny you should say that, Alan, because I am planning another cat podcast. And I don't want to give too much away, but I've got a guest coming with me who they like wildlife gardens, but they also like cats. And we're going to be going into a setting with lots of cats. So I don't want to say any more than that. But yes, there will be another Cats Are Cunts, the sequel uh, podcast. And then finally, I've got Dale. Uh, Dale's on the committee of Nottingham Piscatorial Society. It's a fishing club that I'm a member of. And I know that he's a regular listener. And he's put, looking forward to seeing you at the MPS guest speaker night on Wednesday, the 2nd of November. Which, if you're listening to this podcast on the day when it comes out, is the following day. If you're listening to this in the far future, you probably won't really give a shit about that but it's a great event I've been there a few times always enjoy meeting uh, fellow MPS members and trying to flog calendars and whatnot at that but yeah thanks for that Dale much appreciated so that means that we are 65% of our goal to 500 quid so we're over the halfway mark and it's only the first podcast if you can help me reach the 500 pounds goal to get some new microphones that would be greatly appreciated just follow the link in the description to buymeacoffee.com Donate what you can and leave me a message and I'll read it out in next week's podcast. On the sponsorship front, I am talking to people, but nothing concrete yet. So hopefully I can get some sweet, sweet sponsorship money to kind of elevate the podcast a little bit. But that is ongoing. Anyway, I've waffled enough about the pod. Let's get to this week's guest. I've got the absolute pleasure of chatting to Ashley Smith. Now, Ashley is the founder of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, WASP, and is a force of nature when it comes to fighting against various groups who are abusing UK rivers, but particularly his local patch on the Windrush in the Cotswolds. Very much like previous guest Fergal Sharkey, Ashley is on the forefront of fighting for sewage pollution and holding those responsible to account. I head down to the Cotswolds and meet Ashley by the banks of the Windrush and I have to admit it was a sorry sight. Up until recent memory it was a thriving clear chalk stream with ranunculus, barbel, chub, a beautiful river. When I went there with Ashley it was little more than a slow flowing pile of sludge. It was incredibly depressing. Ashley is incredibly passionate about the subject of rivers and fighting against the atrocities that are happening to many UK river systems. Here's our chat. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and today you join me on a rather windy but sunny autumnal day in October along the banks of the River Windrush in Oxfordshire. This is a tributary of the River Thames and I'm joining Ashley Smith. He is a river conservationist and fights hard 
for UK rivers, particularly around the Cotswold, especially for issues like sewage, water abstraction, and the other cacophony of problems that our rivers face. So I'm just walking up to the bridge now where I can see Ashley sat peering over what only can be described as a very sick and poorly river. Well, welcome to the podcast, Ash. Thank you very much. Do you want to just explain who you are, what you do, and where we are? Yeah, I'm Ash Smith. I'm the founder of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution. We're sitting on the bridge over the river Windrush uh, near Burford, just above uh, Whitney. And we're looking down onto a river that some years ago, not that many, I've seen photographs of this in, in 2009, 2010, when this would have been full of ranunculus, the water would have been pretty clear and there would have been shoals of good-sized chub, loads of minnows, a thing of beauty. Today we're looking down, well, we're looking down onto a very sad-looking river. We can see the bottom just because it's very shallow at the moment. The stones are covered in brown silt, fine silt, a coating of, of staining, really, from the algae that's been there throughout the summer that's now died off. Just looks and, dirty, doesn't it? Yeah, and we yeah. can't see a fish. We've looked, we've been here now for a while, and we've been looking really hard, as I do most days. We've not seen a single fish. We've seen three crayfish wallowing about not looking that enthusiastic about life. <laughs> Even the crayfish don't like it in there. I'm wincing looking at it because I'm just thinking, God, I bet, like you say, 10, 20, 50, um, 25 years ago, this would have been absolutely stunning, I imagine. It was. It was, it was described as being like an aquarium. And I, you know, I look at these things with a bit of scepticism as well. But then somebody sent me a video um, that they'd taken down at, at Whitney. Uh, they'd taken it for an angling club in 1998 and I had it transferred from an old video onto a file and played it back and I thought, well, they've really messed up the colour on that. <laughs> it's, all, it's all golden and, and, and the, ground, the, the gravel is, hang on a minute. I thought, hang on a minute, that's how it really was. Yeah. It was the water was very, very clear. Uh, there, there was plenty of really vividly clean green ranunculus. But on top of that, the fish life was stunning. There were roach, oh. perch chub swimming about then there was a shoal of 10 barbel approximately 10 barbel big fish just lying there in the in the sunshine and that was normal nobody nobody thought this is an exception no one thought well we better film this because this is going to be gone yeah and that's 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 the case later i got something from 2006 taken by a, a professional cameraman underwater and that showed barbel and chub in a it, we, you could see the river was slightly going off from that beautiful clarity, but there was a good population of fish in that river. And I filmed that exact same spot with the guide that, um, that helped um, the cameraman on that. So I got in exactly the plain, same place. We'd use the same technique. We fed some hemp in to attract the fish life that were there, and all we got were minnows and crayfish. Yeah, it's not encouraging, is it? It's, not at all. It's, it's, it's dreadful, and it's avoidable, but it's, it's not... We're not talking about an exception here. The story I'm telling you is one that could be told all, all across the country. So many people are seeing exactly the same impacts. They're seeing the, the weed die out. They're seeing the algae come in from the excess nutrients. They're seeing the fine sediment come in. They're seeing the clarity of the water go. And they're seeing the, the fish population. You might start to see fish getting bigger initially, 
but then you'll notice that there are no small fish because so there's no recruitment. They're not they're not breeding. They're not no. breeding successfully, particularly things like grayling and barbel, first to go, the canary species. And you you think, oh well that's good, getting big fish, and then you realise actually it's not good. And and your river becomes devoid of life, as this is. Yeah. yeah this it's, is it's it's very It um, looks tired. If that makes sense. It's a tired river yeah. on its knees. I can see more crayfish. There's one just popped out of its hole. There's another one down there yeah. flashing about. I mean, yeah, actually, this, this you see unusual. him down there. This is very unusual. Is I, I cross this bridge every day, twice a day at least, sometimes uh, four times a day with the, with the dogs. And I don't see these crayfish so ah. like this occasionally, but not these numbers. So I wonder if there's something agitating them. It could be, couldn't it? Something They're not happy about something because they're absolutely everywhere and we were saying before we started recording you could just hear people shooting ducks in the background there by the way we're not in a war zone or anything because these problems all seem to fit with each other like a jigsaw puzzle so you've got the abstraction and then you've got the sewage that amplifies problems and then you've yeah. got ways for invasive species to get in because the ecosystem's not quite right and it yeah. all just kind of molds into this this mess that is the british river yeah it, it's it's bad there are some there are still and they are so beautiful when you find one or if you go to the upper reaches of this river yeah. it will improve yeah get above the pollution sources it will improve one of the most beautiful brooks that that um i've seen for a long time uh, not far away another limestone um river the Ampney Brook is, a, is an absolute gem, beautiful uh, above the pollution sources. This year, it's completely dried out, almost to the River Thames, and we, we think that's pretty much due to abstraction. Um, the, of course, it's exacerbated by the drought, but um, the water companies are now getting permission to take even more water out. Yeah. So that river will die. Uh, uh, well, it is, it's dry, but you have to think about the consequences of that. So the fish, some were rescued, most were lost, the weed has all died. That may well come back if, if that's deep enough rooted. The invertebrate population will be gone. The, the freshwater shrimps, the, importantly, the mayfly will be gone. And those mayfly, as we all know, will have a, a big hatch around about late May, June, and that will feed fish, but it will feed it also hungry breeding bird population yeah. that will be reliant on that massive those swallows that have come from the yeah. Sahara they're yeah. going to be hungry <laughs> they are going to be hungry because frankly we're not bustingly over over populated with insects anymore are we and the yeah. mayfly were still providing quite a quite a chunk of protein and that won't be there for all, all of the rivers that have dried up and that's the upper Thames the Ampney Brook and a number of other rivers around here are really struggling now so on, I mean, we've mentioned a few problems there. Where does sewage kind of rank in terms of issues? I mean, probably difficult to put them in a list, isn't it? But is, is, it, is it a big issue? Because to the uninitiated, I mean, to the general public might just think, oh, you know, there's a pipe going in the water. Is it, is it a big deal? Is it a big problem? Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, what kind of scale is it, I suppose? Well, we chose it on this river because uh, we had a look at it and we decided that the agriculture that was going on from what we could tell and I consulted people that have been around this for a long time the agriculture is quite often uh, organic it's pasture we're not in talking anywhere near any sort of intensive agriculture going on here and in fact our experience from measuring things like phosphate and nitrate for example on, on one of the brooks nearby is that as it flows through the agricultural land the levels will be low the phosphate will be virtually zero nitrate might be 10 milligrams per litre. I'll then go below the first sewage works on that brook and I'll pick up 
uh, recently did a, a reading of 56 milligrams per litre of nitrogen, of nitrate. And then go to second sewage works, it's particularly bad this year because of low flow, and I was getting 90 milligrams per litre of, wow. of uh, nitrate and, and about uh, 1.4 milligrams per litre of phosphate. Now, for anybody who doesn't know what those numbers mean, they are shockingly high numbers. Uh, in fact, for drinking water, 50 milligrams per litre in this country, 10 milligrams in the United States, is regarded as unacceptable in drinking water. Uh, so 90, you're talking about way off. off. Uh, and this, we, attribute, we can attribute it directly to um, sewage outfalls. And that's the treated effluent. That's not the untreated. Oh, really? I'm wow. talking, this is 24 hours a day, every day, that sort of level of, of um, so-called nutrient. Now, nutrient sounds like a benign and good thing, doesn't it? But, but in this situation, that over-nutrification of, of waters through those high levels of phosphate and the, the big one, nitrate, which most people always associate with farming, but we can show you 100% is coming out big, big doses from sewage works will be responsible for these signs that you're seeing here. There's an Environment Agency slide that describes this, that the Environment Agency won't have anything to do with anymore because it's a bit too close to the reality and it shows the effects of high nutrients being cloudy water, an abundance of algae, fine sediment, the loss of plant growth and, and highs and lows and extra highs of lows of um, oxygen. And that's exactly what we see. Because I was going to ask you about, because there's, there's untreated, which is currently allowed to go in the rivers. Oh, no, sorry, uh, treated, which is allowed to go in, yeah. and then untreated. So even the treated stuff. Is tre yeah, treated, yeah. It treated. The treated process is pretty basic. So yeah. basically, you send the sewage to the sewage works. It, they, they settle it. This is the best version. Sometimes okay. some of these sections are not even done. But they'll settle it to get most of the sludge out. They'll stir it around with some bacteria using either um, running it over filter beds, which are those circular beds you see yes, with an arm yeah, spinning yeah. around. Many people might know what they are. Uh, or it will have air injected into it in, in a way um, to promote bacterial activity. Uh, then it will go to a final settlement tank and then it will either um, very, very unusually, very, very infrequently have some kind of extra treatment like ultraviolet treatment also infrequently and only at big sewage works really have any impact um, of phosphate phosphate addressed it will just be returned to the river now that process might only take six to eight hours I mean just imagine how much is really going to happen in that time yeah and then think about what goes in so go to the supermarket next time you're there look around the the laundry product shelves just look at that rows and rows and rows of stuff that's going into your house that's going to end up in going down your sink, toilet, shower, whatever, and then start reading some of the labels. It amazed me how, um, you know, like fairy liquid, for example. Everyone yeah. loves fairy liquid. You read the back of it, it's really toxic. I've stopped using it now. I've had to be really careful what I buy. It says on the, harm, as many things do, harmful to aquatic life with long-lasting effects. So... What government thinks that that's a good starting point for its control of chemicals? Yeah. And when that's untreated, that's even worse. And so then we come on to that. So that's, so what will not be dealt with in the treatment 
hormones will not be dealt with and we know that hormones have a massive impact on life in our waters, have affected the sex of fish. Um, we know that the chemicals will mostly not be addressed. We know that antibiotics and other drugs pass through people when they take them. Sometimes antibiotics, I think you maybe get 75% passing through the um, patient into into the sewer, into the river. Uh, as it goes to the sewage works, of course, it's then these drugs are stirred around with the, all the bacteria you can think of, and the bacteria that survive are the resistant bacteria. So that's a real concern for scientists, that sewage works are actually big mixing bowls to develop antimicrobial resistant, the, the resistance. The bacteria that will not respond to antibiotics, the bacteria that will then risk killing people. So that's a, that is a, that's a very, very serious risk that nobody really wants to think about too much because it's, it's too hard. Polio cropped up in London recently, didn't it? Was that yeah. only a couple of months ago? Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, obviously through sewage as well. And I remember reading a news story the other day. I mean, it's a bit sensationalised, but cocaine eels was the headline. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, people are taking cocaine, it, peeing it out, and it's ending up in your rivers. So you've got, you know, fish hopped up on drugs and whatnot. It, you couldn't make it up. No, you, you couldn't. Could in up. fact, the, that, the, the surveillance of sewage is a, is a very interesting thing. One of the scientists that, that we know, Dr. Andrew Singer, down at the Centre for Ecology and Hydrology, he first turned us on to the idea of antimicrobial resistance. But he's also been engaged in, in looking at the surveillance of sewage. Look, they were looking for COVID to, to work out where COVID was most prevalent. And now they're looking at other... Um, Health aspects that they can they can identify. Incredible work, really. Yeah. But so this is yeah. You know, all this stuff is going in into um, into our waters. Don't forget the bacteria. Sewage works. That the bacteria that will coming out of sewage works, treated effluent, will be very very high in in coliforms, in E. coli. So don't sw don't swim near a treated effluent outfall. It's not the story that's put to us by off what. DEFRA, the Environment Agency and the water companies on their websites. Clean water is returned to the river. Is that, that's what they say. That's not the case. In fact, you look at the video of some of the stuff we've filmed of that so-called clean water and, and we've filmed it containing great clumps of um, bacteria and undigested food, believe it or not. And that will still pass the permit. Oh, really? It is passing the Environment Agency permit. But even at best, and sometimes it can be quite a clear liquid, just beware of that because that is, you know, the, the idea that someone might put a cup into that and drink that to show you what great treatment is being done, that won't be happening. You won't get anyone to do that in no. this country. Because <laughs> generally speaking, I mean, like, it, it's easy to, uh, I was going to say romanticise, that's maybe not the right word, but imagine a, a, a river full of turds floating down. Yeah. But generally, it's just sort of grey, yeah. milky water, isn't it? So again, like, to the average person, it's, the alarm bell might not necessarily ring. Yeah, and people get really sick from this. Yeah. And, and it is only a matter of time, and it's probably already happened. People, people with um, a low resistance or some other complication, or even someone quite robust, is going to die from this. And, and what is that? Is that what 
Is that what the authorities are waiting for, for that kind of thing? Because generally it always is. We have to wait for a catastrophe before anyone... We're, we're reactionary, up. aren't we, not precautionary? Yeah, that's it. In fact, J Jacob Rees-Mogg wants to do, to do away with the precautionary principle in legislation. I heard him say that. <laughs> of course he does. Um, <laughs> so we, let's just take a chance. Let's see yeah. how many people die when, or, from a new product and then uh, <laughs> oh, let God. the market forces take care of it. It's just, it's frightening it um, is. That, yeah. that this is this is the 21st century in the developed world and we're still we're still not addressing this because it costs a little bit of money but we're already paying the money as customers um, and the water industry is taking it but a good chunk of that 72 billion pounds approximately the amount of money that they're now talking about would have been necessary to fix the major issues was given to shareholders and those shareholders um, we're beginning to understand from our research and uh, from the work of um, Professor David Hall at Greenwich University, we're beginning to see that those shareholders have actually not invested, not invested in the way that we think their own money. They've just put our money in and taken a good chunk of our money out to the tune of about 45 pence for every one pound of our money that they've so say invested. So it's turning out not only to be an environmental catastrophe but also a massive scam essentially and, daylight robbery then yeah isn't it? i think and it was already it's already popped its head up in 1996 it was called the great water robbery then but somehow um they managed to weather it and bury the story i don't know how because it was in the in the broadsheets and um tabloids at the time that issue was rec recognized but they've just carried on and been and been allowed to do it and it's um it, it, i think the days are, are are coming to a close because all of this around sewage pollution it's all been about public awareness yeah because when the public are aware they are very very concerned but not enough people have been aware because it's been pushed under underground we had until recently and they'll still say it some people in the water industry until recently even the the chief executive of the environment agency and the chair of the environment agency was telling us our rivers have never been in better condition since before the start of the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> yeah, complete comedy, because they haven't got the data. They're meant to be a data-led organisation. They've gone quiet on that now, funny enough. No-one's really touting that anymore, are they? Well, we pushed back on it, kept asking them for the evidence for it, because their own evidence said that it, that it dramatically had, had decreased since uh, 2009, got worse. So how, that, how that, could, that story could ever have been true was well it just wasn't it was just someone in the media office presumably said that sounds good let's let's say that <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous of course some rivers improved when um, big industry shut down and um, maybe some some industries improved their practices some of that industrial pollution went away and that rivers recovered really really well but what we didn't see coming was the out of control water industry which was basing its business model and this is how it only way it can make money is by not spending bill payers money it gets every year guaranteed amount of bill payers money and the least it can spend the more that's left over to suck out dividends you know some of these companies have been exploiting that anglian water 2017-18 i think the turnover is about 1.5 billion for the company they took 1.94 billion pounds as a dividend now that is unforgivable and should never have been allowed by Ofwat. Ofwat's meant to regulate this so that the water industry cannot give dividends 
if they will impact on the ability of the water companies to supply their statutory um, obligation to do the job legally. But we know they've been basing their activities on spilling untreated sewage, not only when they're allowed to in exceptional circumstances, but also massively as exposed by my neighbour and colleague who lives just up the road from here, Peter Hammond, professor, mathematician, absolute groundbreaking analysis into the way that the water industry has been polluting and he's showed that they've been, been polluting illegally far more frequently than the Environment Agency thought or was admitting to. Shocking uh, that they weren't treating enough uh, so they're, they're, they're dumping, that was a fish that just, really? just that, that oh, is, now that is an unusual sight, <laughs> just took a, something off the surface. I heard a plop, yeah. yeah. We've, we've just seen a chub that we already suspect a chub or a trout rise over there, but we were talking about how um, rivers, uh, the, the, the message is pedal that they've never been better before, but the reality is oh. very different. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a shame, and, the, and, it, and um, unfortunately, as the population has grown and new housing has popped up around the country, what, one thing you can guarantee is those sewage works will never have been upgraded in advance of the demand. They will always wait, the water industry will always wait until they're over capacity, until they're failing, and then they'll, they will lurch into a, a five-year cycle. So it will often mean that they are 10 years behind the demand. And by the time they get to, the, to achieving that, then they're out of date for the next set of demand. And this is what you're seeing. You're seeing the result of inadequate treatment of, of um, effluent that's coming out, but also a massive increase. The way to hide um, incapacity and to still then be able to, to achieve the permits because they have to achieve their permits, they have to measure their, their permits 12 times a year, which is laughable in itself, for a fraction of time 12 times a year, and pass a permit for generally biochemical oxygen demand, suspended solids, and ammonia. Now there are some other complications for, for bigger work, sometimes phosphorus, but that's the basic standard. And, and that's all they have to worry about. And to, to do that, they can only treat a certain amount of sewage. So it, the excess has been dumped, and, and it's been dumped often illegally, and, and that's what we've seen. We've seen the, the huge numbers that have been reported, like three million hours one year, uh, and these, these numbers are only starting to touch the, the reality. They're not measuring volume. Where volume was measured and, and obtained by Peter Hammond down at Mogden on the Thames in London, I think they recorded spills of three billion litres. You know, this is, this is just fen phenomenal volumes. And just down the road here at Whitney, we, we um, I didn't think I'd ever see sewage fungus. It was 2019 and I'd got some pictures of it from one of our colleagues and I thought, well, you know, I'd like to update that, but I don't particularly want to get sewage fungus. I went to the Colwell Brook there, looked over and I thought, I know what that is. And, and that whole brook, um, for, um, for about 1.8 kilometres was solid, pretty much, coating of sewage fungus, which is like a kind of gloopy sort of stuff that you might find in, the, in your... If you are unfortunate enough to ever get into to having to unplug a, a blocked-up sink or something like that, in the bottom of the, the, the sink trap or something, you'll find this gloopy, horrible stuff. And, and it, it's a, actually a bacteria, filamentous bacteria, but they call it sewage fungus, and it coats all of the, all of the plants, the riverbed, 
and it, it's really gross. That, that whole thing was full of sewage fungus and that was because that sewage works had been spilling for a long time and I was surprised. And then I, I, we followed that and we tracked the incident and it went on for roughly four months. Four months Incredible. Yeah. of untreated sewage coming out. So not the couple of hours short term event to stop your house from flooding with sewage which we'd been told was what was happening. Nowhere near that. So far, far more sinister, far more part of normal business for the water industry. So if it's, if we're looking at who's to blame for this, it's, is it one kind of culprit? Is it a mixture or like what, what, I guess what I'm asking is why is it happening? Why are people doing this? Is it purely, is it as simple as profit or is it more, more complicated than that? No, it's as simple as profit. And it, it is um, simply the, and I've, we've heard two now, two senior executives in Thames Water say that the business model for the water industry has, has been forced upon them, you know, maybe, by off what's um, way of regulating, and that is to sweat the assets. And that, that's what I described before. They, the, the more money they don't spend, the more money they've got left over. Uh, and, it, and if they're not regulated properly, and the, the environmental regulator, environment agency is weak and slow as it is uh, then they can get away with it and if they can get away with it some very very sinister business decisions have been made just to pollute uh, crown court judges have commented on this it's not just me saying that as a throwaway line that's been forensically um, exhibited and recognized by by judges that's why they started hiking the fines up to try to make them wake up gave them 20 million pound fine for Thames Water in 2017 for a series of pollutions in 2014. Well, I worked out that that fine, compared to the money that the company made in those uh, four years of polluting by not addressing those issues, it was it was about 2.4 percent of their of the money they made. So it was just a, like a minor so admin worth, fee. Yeah. It was worth it. Yeah, and it remains worth it. Even Southern Water, 90 million pound fine lots of offences some of them were 10 years ago it took them forever the environment agency to address that and and in that time they are only looking at they're not even attending anything below a category three event a category three event is described as minor environmental impact but often in reality the things that we've seen described as environmental impact don't look like anywhere near minor to us, they were trying to palm these um, these long. Well, they will do palm a lot of those long-term pollutions off as category three because they accept the water industry itself classifying it. They'll say, "Don't worry, there's nothing to see here," and and frankly, often that's nowhere near true. It's like the fox letting itself into the chicken coop a little bit if you're going to yeah. let them. <laughs> and then it. saying, "Don't worry, I'm just a dog." It's it is it's um. It is a deeply, deeply broken system. And, and it's government policy that decides that, that only a tiny number of offences will be addressed. Therefore, pollution is profitable. And if pollution remains profitable, and this cuts right across everything, from right the way through to the whole kind of air pollution, every kind of pollution you can think of. If it's profitable, someone's going to do it. And so if you don't stop that, you're wasting your time. All of the other stuff is window dressing. You can, you can adjust the habitat of this river the industry might have offered to, you know, offered us money to let's go and let's go and you know narrow the flow here. Let's put some sticks in a river. Let's clean things up. But they don't want to address the one that's going to cost them money, and that is clean water. Frankly, doesn't matter what the banks are like. If the if if this is clean water, life will thrive in it. Yeah. And if it isn't, 
you can do whatever you want to the banks, it won't. When you get to the knuckle of it, yeah, no, definitely. It does, I'm uh, not decrying what people do with no, I know, I, issues, I, but I, frankly, sometimes I, fi I find it really rude that they're being kind of distracted and had over and being made to monitor this, that and the other when the industry's known for years what's going on and just doesn't want to do it and wants to buy itself time. So when you've got groups like the Environment Agency then, why why are they not taking more action? Because obviously it's their purpose, isn't it, to, to give these companies a, a big slap on the wrist when they're doing these sort of things. Why are they not being held? Well, it's not really their purpose. No? Any, certainly not their purpose anymore. Their, their stated purpose is being adjusted, and it has been adjusted for, for a while, as to be also um, responsible for so-called sustainable growth. I think they've even thrown the sustainable word away now with the new chair that's been appointed, yeah. Alan Lovell. He was appointed uh, despite the, the um, interview panel for his um, appointment, noting that he didn't know anything about the environment. Uh, and he then also um, re refused to divest himself of shares in an energy company that they thought were a conflict of interest, and they still gave him the job. And his first meeting, you know, it's been reported in, in one of the news outlets, I think, he left after 35 minutes. First meeting with the agency not inspiring them, <laughs> just said we're going to focus on growth. By the way, I've got to go now, I've got another board meeting to go to. So, uh, you know, this is, this is not an agency that's going to solve anything. And I feel sorry for the, for the good people that, that work in there, thought that that's what they were doing. They're well funded, they get over 1.6 billion pounds. You know, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That, is a, that is a lot of money. But not much of it is allowed to be used. Now this is where the chief executive and the chair previously they can bleat about it but they could easily move things around they're, they're in charge of those organizations they let the enforcement the monitoring and enforcement of pollution fall into very small numbers of under-resourced un unsupported people so when those people who've got their desk full of work get a call from some some bunch of people like us saying there's another event that we think you should um, investigate and they say okay all right we'll ask the water industry what's going on and the water industry says oh don't worry it's all under control nothing to do here of course they're they're, they're happy to hear that and, it, and so if they've got they so can, much on their plate yeah, they, yeah. they're not going to go looking and we and we understand that but but we don't and we kind of forgive some of them to a degree but we do not forgive the environment agency it's been part of and it remains part of the environmental destruction of our of our waters and they're doing no more than managing it and, and looking like there's some someone taking care of our interests when there isn't it's sadly symbolic with gunshots going it is a bit going off in the nothing, background nothing flying past our ears no yet, but <laughs> i do occasionally get shot landing in the garden and uh all right know, well so we're we're taking our live in our in our hands here a little bit we, suddenly goes quiet and you hear a splash we've fell in off the bridge because we've been shot yeah um, on a on a european scale as well i know that the uk is rapidly falling because i think there was a time it was looking okay and now we've been put to shame by i know a lot of i think a lot of other western european countries do have their share of problems but we seem to be rapidly overtaking them i remember seeing a map somewhere i can't remember the specifics of it but I remember the UK was in the red. <laughs> That's all we're, I remember from it. Yeah, I think we're really bad in, in terms of beaches. We keep trying to manipulate our. Oh, there's an aeroplane going over here. Another plane. Not a red kite. I've seen a couple. Heard a couple of those go over while we've been chatting. Yeah. Yeah. Here we 
really care. There's always, it seems to me, whenever I get recording equipment out, the planes absolutely love me. I must have a magnet on me or something. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it should quieten down a bit. Yeah, I forgot what we were talking about. We were talking about yeah, um, beaches, European. Yeah, oh, the standard, yeah. We were known as the dirty man of Europe. Right, yeah. well, we're, we're, you know, we're there again, aren't we, let's face it. We, we were being held in check by, U, by European law. I don't want to get controversial on Brexit over, <laughs> over it. But we've now replaced the European court, which threatened to fine the government. And that was really what inspired the changes in, in improving the standard of our beaches. We've now got the Office for Environmental Protection. And, and its, maximum, its maximum intervention with the government is to write them a stern letter. Seriously. <laughs> Um, and you know that's not to Which decry. They're going to take notice of, obviously, aren't they? Yeah, of course they will. <laughs> that's not to de decry the Office of Environmental Protection. I've, I think they've got an excellent uh, team of people, and they're doing their first investigation now into the Environment Agency, into Ofwat, and cleverly into sec the Secretary of State, which is their boss, yeah. effectively. So um, it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out. But, but I think they they have got they have got the ability to expose some of this stuff where we, um, we've had to just rely on open source material uh, in our inv investigations. If they've got some investigatory powers to get into the real murk of this story, then that could get quite interesting. And, and at the moment, WASP, uh, our team are also providing um, evidence to support a judicial review by Wild Justice uh, against Ofwat. Now that's interesting. There's a crayfish again. I told, mentioned before that I'd seen them getting washed down on the current. There's a small one there. You, it doesn't look very well at all, does it? You where, see it. Where are you, you see looking? There's I've a lost stone. It. There's a most prominent stone. <laughs> there's where a stone that, where in the river. Ripple start, no, where that ripple starts on that stone. <laughs> yes, I've got you. There's a crayfish just to the top left of that. Oh, I've got you. Yes, and yes, I see it. it yeah. As the flow catches that, you see. It, oh yeah, there yeah, you yeah, go. yeah. It's He's getting rolling. washed down upside down. That's not a well crayfish. There's got to be something with the water, hasn't there? There has. And I've got um, I've got a dissolved oxygen monitor in the river. I'll look at the readings. Yeah, you'll have back. to send me that because I'd be really interested to know what's happening. That doesn't look good. God, even even these bottom-dwelling, hard as nails, invasive crayfish, yeah. are struggling in yeah. this river. Yeah, oh they God. are. They are strong. They're, they're like um, sticklebacks. They're kind of. Um, yeah, they'll live anywhere as well, won't they? Sylvester Stallone of the rivers. They, I've, <laughs> I've found those in such low oxygen. I found them in 12% in 12 dissolved oxygen. I remember going to the River Stour in Birmingham and the river was blue. Yeah. It was. It smelt of detergent. Right. And I still saw sticklebacks. Didn't see anything else. Yeah. But I saw sticklebacks. I mean, they looked manky. They had, like, warts on them and yeah. all sorts. But they were still clinging on. I was thinking, you know... They're the last things that will be. They'll be yeah. there with the rats and the cockroaches. Yeah, at the end. they will. <laughs> It'll be the when the, it all comes the to an end. of the stickleback. They, they, they're fantastic little little. Uh, I love fish. them. They're brilliant. They've yeah. got such beautiful colours on them. Yeah. But there we go. If people are in well, you know, on, on a rather depressing topic we've been talking about. But if people do feel inspired by the chat that we've just had and they want to try and make a difference, what what can the average Joe at home who's listening to this do? Uh, to yeah. try and help our, our rivers with all this. Well, it's I mean, you may find a group near you that you can support um, around the, the country. You've got SOS Whitstable on the Kent coast. You've got um, Ilkley Clean, Clean Rivers up in Yorkshire. They've they've been very vocal. Surfers Against Sewage. These are all groups that are not influenced by by funding and and money. And you and they will tell it as it is, and they will be 
they will work as hard as they can with you. Um, you've got some uh, local rivers trusts that will be doing variable work. The Cotswolds Rivers Trust, we've just re restarted that, um, and that that will um, that that's a, an interesting entity. I'm thinking around the rest of the the country. You can look it up on an on the internet and find something. But what you can really do is you can definitely it's a something of a futile gesture. You may think. But you can still write to your councillors and MPs. Don't have to write them a fancy letter. Just say in the title, "I will not vote for you if you do not sort out pollution of our of our waters or whatever it is." Just to, so that they get the message, just the volume of, of people, because this has to be a voting issue. This is this this what we're seeing around us is a conscious decision by government policy to sacrifice our environment for profit for people that are mostly not even based in this country. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, I mean, not to get too political, but Labour recently have gone very green, haven't they, in the last conference, and Fergal yeah. Sharkey, yeah. he was speaking there. And interestingly, he was when he was on the podcast, he said exactly the same thing, right to your MP. Because yeah. at the end of the day, that's going to raise yeah. an eyebrow. And it's, not, and it's not saying, this is not talking about, this is about influencing all the parties. Yes. So we're yeah, not yeah. saying vote anybody no, We're no, no, saying, no 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 influence your politicians and make them realize that those are the things that matter to you so that the, the you know the conservative party can suddenly get a big green purge or um or it can be the green party that that comes in Inter interestingly you know that we saw a lot of that in local elections this this area went from conservative to green is that right yeah it was remarkable i couldn't i couldn't believe such a thing would happen it's it's just but basically, you don't have to do nothing. But just to, you know, this is not, you, or some people, I'm not, not recommending this, but some people are withholding the, the section of their water bill that relates to sewage treatment because it's not being done. They're not getting what they paid for. But if they can show that the sewage works that they, that they um, in their area, has been spilling more than it, it should, and they're not happy with that, then they've been withholding it. And we've not, we've not seen anybody taken to court, because I think in court, it's a very strong possibility the water industry might lose. And if it did, imagine that. That would really open the, the floodgates. Because then everyone would be like, hang on a minute, let's Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I know that Bob Geldof did something down on the south coast. Did he? Uh, and <laughs> yes, Southern Water offered a rebate at the time. Now I think they're getting quite stroppy about it. Southern Water, one of the, you know, one of the most criminally active companies of, that, and that's been demonstrated, one of the most dishonest that was that was demonstrated in in court, and certainly one of the least cooperative when it comes to providing um, data that they're obliged to provide. It's just not good. And being sat here, it's it's been eye-opening, I and mean, it's really good to know about these issues and the ins and outs of it. And it's such a shame looking at this river. I, I think about the ten years I've been filming in rivers. You know, relatively short amount of time. And when I started. It was, I wouldn't say it was easy, but I could find rivers. I have three criteria, which you mentioned earlier on, funnily enough, which is clear water, lots of weed, lots of fish. Yeah. If I want to find a river now that's got all three of those, mm. I'm bloody struggling. Yeah. I'm really, really struggling. Like, I can find clear water, I, I can sometimes find a weedy river, and I can certainly find fish, but to get all three of those magic ingredients, yeah. it's bloody hard now. And yeah. that's depressing in, 
in my lifetime that's happened. It, it is depressing, and, 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 that, and look, you've got to kind of end on a positive note, because it doesn't have to be like that. This is a moving body of water. When you dilute this, you lift the clarity of this and the quality of this water, that starts to wash all this crap away. Yeah. Um, it does end up in the sea, yes, but it does kind of get organically dealt with um, eventually. Some of this stuff will never go away. We know about the, the forever chemicals, and we've got to wake up to that. But you can fix this. And so there's a big difference between sitting over there having a picnic, looking at this miserable grey oh, thing, yeah. and sitting looking at the, 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 um, the mayfly, the dragonfly flying around, the, the, um, the kingfishers, the herons, the fish jumping, the, we the weeds swaying. You've got to have seen that to realise what you've not got. And that is, you know, that you don't know what you've got till it's gone thing is really apparent here and unfortunately for many young people they've never seen that they don't even know that can exist shifting so, baseline syndrome isn't yeah, it yeah that if we can bring that back and we can bring that back but we're going to have to fight for it like the whole of the environment there's a lot of money involved and if people want money at the expense of where you live and where you enjoy yourself the quality of your life and they want to swap that for some kind of growth thing that doesn't benefit you or anybody that you know just some foreign investors you're going to have to fight for it and that's what we're doing in a very nice way we love in our hearts <laughs> <laughs> so don't do nothing that's the message don't do nothing because you will lose now well power to you ash i think you know people like yourself fergal mark barrows all these sort of people who are flying the flag i think it's great what you're doing and and long shall you carry on hopefully but look it's been an absolute pleasure sat here having a, having a chat to you by a river that could let's keep our fingers crossed in years to come improve and become the aquarium again absolutely thank you very much that was the exhaustively knowledgeable ashley smith uh, i've got a huge amount of respect for that man what he doesn't know about the state of our rivers isn't worth knowing and just keeps fighting the good fight so hats off to the guy i think it's brilliant what he does now next week is the first episode of Jack Does Stuff. And in that first one, I'm out bird ringing. And I'm going bird ringing with Jack Badhams. Jack also hosts a podcast called How Many Geese and is a researcher on Springwatch. But when he's not doing that, he's a very passionate bird ringer, something that I know naff all about. So we head out to Cresswell Crags in Nottinghamshire, not too far from where I live, and we have a little go at bird ringing. We may or may not catch a kingfisher live in the recording, Spoiler alert, we do. So it's well worth tuning in. It was a great episode, and I learned all about the practice of bird ringing, why they do it, what data can be collected, and we catch a few different birds for that. If you can leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, if it's on Spotify, iTunes, Google, whatever the Google one is, please leave a review. If you can't afford to donate to buymeacoffee.com, that's fine, but leave a review. It costs nothing, and that helps the podcast out just as much. So please do that if you can. And don't forget to follow on social media. There is a Facebook page, The Bearded Tits Podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Perks Photo. Instagram, I'm, I'm at Fish Twitcher. And on YouTube, it's Jack Perks Wildlife Media. This has been The Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>